So let me tell you about the podcast today. It is really, really good. If you're into the coverage of the race tonight, the caucus in Iowa, we have Steve Dace on about that. We have Vivek Ramaswamy on about Trump and what he said and really why vote for you, Vivek, if you're Trump light. He uh, had some things to say about that. Also, a woman, Anna Stanley, she is um, uh, she's from the foreign office in the UK. Um, she was a civil servant and she went to King's College in England for a seminar on uh, basically homeland security and domestic terror threats. She had to point out several times, wait a minute, 70% of the terrorist uh, uh, activity in the United Kingdom is from Islamic extremists. They wanted to make sure that everybody understood that's not true. Uh, and it's coming from just everyday ordinary people that are the ones that are the terrorists because they're against what the government is saying to do. And Joe Rogan was brought up, um, uh, Charles Murray and Joe Rogan brought up in that as something the government would like to silence, but they can't get away with. So they're waiting for the private sector to figure out a way to uh, eliminate or silence them. It's a little hair raising. All of this and so much more on today's podcast brought to you by uh, Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a company that I I love representing because they are really good, decent people that have spent the last 10 years trying to give great phone service to people so they could make enough money and take some of their profits and invest it in America, to take some of their profits and invest it in the Constitution, in the fight for school boards all across the country. They are... They're activists, but they're activists on our side. And you, by sending your money to Verizon or any of these companies, you are supporting the left and leftist causes. Don't do that, please. Um, Take your money, your hard-earned money, and put it where it will actually matter. And people that are trying to save the country, not destroy the country. That's Patriot Mobile. I want you to go to patriotmobile.com slash Beck right now or call 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation when you use the promo code Beck. Join me. Make the switch right now. Patriotmobile.com slash Beck or 972-PATRIOT. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Steve, what does it feel like on the ground in Iowa? What's the temperature? Right now it's minus eight, and I want to scream that like the publisher and elf. Minus eight. Okay. I mean it is uh I mean it's Glenn I, I I've lived in this same house for seventeen years. I've never seen snow drifts in my front walk this high. This is soul crushing, go in a corner and begin self harm levels. Of course. Oh, uh, Steve, buck up, man. If Kansas ever. City, if Kansas City could play on Saturday in negative four without sleeves, certainly you can get out of your house. Well, some of us are going to. Now, yeah. comparing <laughs> comparing the average Iowan to the best athletes in America might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> 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 but some of us are going to, and that's the thing, though, Glenn. I don't know what some of us will. I mean, I. 
I went to the last the, the campaign closing event for Ron DeSantis last night. And even in one of our largest suburbs of Ankeny, to get up hills, I still had to go four-wheel drive in, in residential areas three days after this snow left. The blowing, wow. the drifting, uh, most of our residential areas are, are covered in ice, sheets of ice. Our, our school kids in the metros are looking at maybe a five-day weekend between the closures last week and then today's a holiday and then probably tomorrow as well. So wow. I, And you guys never very close. Volatile. You never close schools there, right? It, it's got to take a lot, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, 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 we have this thing called winter every year, you know, yeah. and the caucuses <laughs> are usually in January and February. But this is pretty extraordinary. There's, there's wind chill warnings throughout the state, literally telling elderly people do not go outside. Um, it is the, the turnout model here tonight is going to be very fascinating. I, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I really don't. Well, there you go. Yet another victim of global cooling. global warming or whatever it is so who do you think are the most motivated people i i mean you know i read about nikki haley's uh crew and the latest poll shows she's only got about nine percent of those who are behind her um really exhilarated by her campaign Mm -hmm. so between that and now the democrats saying they're going to show up and caucus for her is she going to actually perform at that 20 percent that the uh, the register said she was going to perform at tonight? No, that that poll is a curse to her. Um, it really raised expectations for her campaign because all, most people are just going to read the top line and not the cross tabs. And if you read the cross tabs, basically her base of people uh, isn't motivated to vote for and prefers Biden in the general election. All right. So, oh my uh, brother, if, 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 if I don't know how many Republicans are going to show up in this weather and sit around for an hour to caucus, I sure as hell don't think there's going to be a lot of Democrats and independents that want to come in and hang out with people they probably don't like. All right. And brave this weather. So um, I actually if I would if you if you made me make one prediction, um, I, I would I would predict um, I think she's going to finish closer to Vivek Ramaswamy tonight mm-hmm. uh, than than to Ron DeSantis. I, I think this has largely been astroturf this entire time. The Des Moines Register poll is wrong every caucus cycle. I have no idea why it's held up as a gold standard. It's held really? up as a gold standard, but it's wrong every cycle. And it's held up by gold by the same people that tell you it's a gold standard. Told you a couple of winters ago that Chinese face diapers are 99 percent effective against airborne contagions. Okay, so it's just it's never right at all. I would go by the behavior of the campaigns. They know better than anyone else. They've got the best data, but they have the best observation. I think the fact the former president um, hustled to get up here one final time over the weekend. I doubt he's concerned about losing. He's probably more concerned. He's got to cover a spread. Like, you know, Glenn, yeah. I mean, he's been favored by 50 points in these polls all year. He wins yes. tonight by like nine or 10. People are going to be like, what the hell's going on? You know, yes. so yes. he's probably concerned about that. Um, and, and, and now you're starting to see late in the process, the organization that the DeSantis campaign built, which was patterned a lot after what we built on the Cruz campaign in 2016 here. Uh, but they've done it even better, I think. Now you're starting to see it kind of harvest and have a fruition. Uh, so I think he'll overperform. To what extent? I don't know. I could see him getting anywhere from, say, uh, 20 to 38. I could see Trump, Trump getting anywhere from 35 to 50. I think it's that volatile with the, with the turnout model right now because of the weather and everything here in Iowa. I know that you are, you know, you've, you've jumped on the DeSantis bandwagon. So try to be as fair as you can on this. 
mm-hmm. w- who has the most uh, walk through a wall of fire, or in this case, walk through an ice storm uh, to vote? I think that's clearly the former president, but I think yeah. people need to understand that. And you know this because you came here to campaign with Cruz yeah. against the former president in 2016. So you saw this with your own eyes. That the evangelical base in Iowa is not like what you see in a lot of red states for Donald Trump. It is admiration, not adulation. All right. And so, mm-hmm. you, you know, for example, he won our state in the general election twice. No Republicans done that since Reagan. Uh, he was instrumental uh, in, you know, people like me that worked for 10 years to try to make Iowa look like Texas. You know, the last nut we couldn't crack is we couldn't convince rural counties to vote Republican because they thought we were all corporatists. And Trump was kind of the last, he was, he was the last ingredient in, in the formula here that helped us split this state red by flipping about 30 counties that voted for Obama once or twice. Uh, he flipped them to vote for him twice. So he is popular here. But Iowans take this process, you know, I wouldn't very say it's just very serious. You yeah, know? they do. And, they do. And, and so I wish like, the red... Hey, I wish the rest of the country took it as seriously as Iowa does. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was going on the road. I was shocked. They are a year out, and they are already gathering together in their towns and mm-hmm. listening to campaign speeches. I mean, they take it very seriously, and I think that's great. Yes. And so I think they're able to look at, for example, they can say, hey, I love what the former president has done for rural Iowa. It's been great. Yeah, he, we are one of the states. I know there's a big debate in the Republican Party right now what the Trump brand has done, um, you know, in places of like suburban states and exurban states. But in a rural state like Iowa, he's been a plus benefit. There's no question about that. But Iowans are also able to say, yeah, yeah, just because I liked him before doesn't mean I like him again. And so I think that um, there will be some soft Trump supporters that will flip to DeSantis tonight based on the strength of his organization. What that number will be, though, I have absolutely no idea. I, I mean, will, I really don't. Where will uh, where will Nikki Haley's voters go if they flip? I don't know how many voters she has. First of all, I think she's relying a lot on people that don't traditionally vote Republican. And just so people understand what I mean by turnout models, you know, you know typically we get about 25 or 26 percent of Republicans will turn out in a caucus. This year it's going to be less because we have more Republicans in Iowa than ever before, about 670,000. So if we have, say, a turnout of 150,000, which I think would be pretty good in this in this weather, you're talking about almost only one out of every six Republicans is showing up to vote here. Okay, so if most of in most of her and and people ask, why is that? Because in in the caucus, you vote the way the founding fathers did. You don't show up, pull a curtain on your break and walk out. You show up, you listen to speeches. Maybe you'll be called on to give a speech. You'll give an, you may be asked to give an account for why you're voting the way you are, or you can volunteer to do that. Horse trading goes on there. Party business goes on there. The process can take an hour or more in some places, depending on how large yeah. the precinct is. So you've got to be really committed to wanting to be a part of the process to take part in a caucus. And, and that's just not the kinds of people that typically vote for a Nikki Haley. She's basically the John Kasich of this cycle. Mm. Um, why do you suppose, I mean, I have my opinions. Why do you suppose, uh, DeSantis who before this race started seemed like it could be a lot closer between him and Donald Trump and it just hasn't materialized. It did it first and then it just kind of dissipated. Why? Well, if you go and look and, and I think let's find out what happens tonight. I think, I think tonight will give us, I mean, well, I'll, I'll probably be able to answer this question more for you tomorrow 
in terms of both its premise and application based on what happens tonight. But preemptively, you know, if you look at the Real Clear Politics national polling average on March 30th, it was something like 42 Trump, 32 DeSantis, and, and he wouldn't even be a candidate for another almost two months. Right. A week later, on April 6th, Trump is now up like 54 to 25. So what happened? DeSantis isn't even a candidate. What happened is on March 31st, Donald Trump got indicted by Alvin Bragg. And, and, and the biggest pin and pull and yin and yang of this cycle has been, um, you know, what's happening to Trump is wrong. So you have these, you have these dual, um, you know, uh, philosophies. Trump can't, can't win another a, a national election We've lost every national election cycle since he miraculously won in 2016. Versus vis-a-vis, um, what they're doing to him is wrong. It's un-American. And, you know, I want him to return like MacArthur in the Philippines. And we're going to finish this script. And if you look at the internals of a lot of the, the, po- the, the polls that had him with, way ahead of DeSantis, what you'll see is, in favorabilities, DeSantis is either even with Trump or often ahead. And I think the biggest sell that, that Ron DeSantis has had to make I think there's a lot of people, I think what, what people like you and me see on Twitter, um, that, that we've destroyed Ron DeSantis' brand, but, you know, these Trump influencers, that's just not true. Now, if, if it were, his favorables would have plummeted. I think what DeSantis has had to do is get out of the friend zone. He's, he's, he's got to make the sale that, that his time is now. And I think people are torn between do we turn the page from Trump or do we finish the, finish the script with Trump? And that's why I said I want to see and wait what happens tonight. Um, to, to give you a more definitive answer, because I think this will be the first verdict on are, how, how successful can you be convincing people that Trump's time is past and it's your time now as opposed to 2028. And if he performs, if he falls into third, you think he's, he's done or not? I'd be, I'd be stunned if he finished third. Yeah, I, I, would, I would too. I would too. I, mean, I, I think he's going, if there's two things I'm confident in, it'll be a disappointing turnout. And he's going to overperform. But I don't know what overperform is. I, I, could it be 22? Could it be 38, 40? I mean, I, I think the, 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 when, when we're talking rural America, in rural Iowa, where Trump needs huge turnouts, and, and people may have to drive tractors to get to precinct sites, given where things are going on right now. I, I just, you know, um, I, the, you know he, he, the average Fox News viewer is 69 years old, as you well know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, those are very supportive mm-hmm. of Trump. I don't know how how many of those people are going to come out in this weather, given their health and the dangers of the ice and everything else. I just don't know the answer to that. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. We have uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on uh, with us now from Iowa. Uh, Hey, Vivek, how are you? Glenn, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. Uh, I have to ask you about the thing from Donald Trump this weekend. He said... Vivek started his campaign as a great supporter. Unfortunately, now he's disguising his support in the form of deceitful campaign tricks. Don't get duped by this. Vote for Trump. Don't waste your vote. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think he had a kinder post this morning that he put up as well. I mean, look, I think his, there's a couple things going on here, Glenn, just to speak a few hard truths. One is anybody who's on the ground here in Iowa is seeing a very late surge here for me. <clears throat> Many of the people who are expected to endorse trump very strong america first patriots like steve king who i think was wrongly denigrated by the media he was widely expected to endorse trump he actually came out in strong and full-throated support of me because of a couple of the positions i've taken here in iowa for iowans against eminent domain 
against the climate change cult and a carbon capture pipeline here in the state. So anyway, I think there's a lot of momentum here in my direction. So I think that that's one big factor. I think another factor, though, is in this whole race, Glenn, I don't care if it's left or right or to our own movement or outward. I'm going to speak the hard truth. And there's one hard truth that is staring us in the face. And it hurts to hear it. But it's the truth. I have stood against these persecutions against Trump more strongly than anybody else. else. I filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court last week, pushing back against the Colorado decision. And Glenn, I'm going to be really honest with you. The reason I filed that amicus brief is I don't don't have the confidence that Trump's team was going to make all of the correct legal arguments that needed to be made because this needs to be the right thing for the country, which is why I did it. So I've pushed back at every step. But we have to be realistic for this country and open our eyes that there's a plot and it's hiding in plain sight. They want to narrow this down to a two-horse race between Trump and a puppet who they can control. As you were just alluding to, one way or another, eliminate Trump from contention, and it is disgusting, but then they can trot their puppet into the White House. And we owe it to this country to make sure that it doesn't happen. And so some people would say, why are you in this race? It's because I have a responsibility to this country to make sure that does not happen. We have to open our eyes. Last time it was a man-made pandemic and a rigged election. This time they're going to stop at nothing. And I increasingly worry, Glenn, it means nothing. And so I'm worried for the future of this country. I'm worried for Trump. I'm worried for this year. I think we're skating on thin ice as a country, and we cannot fall for the trap that's been laid for us. And yes, the truth hurts sometimes, but the first step to actually solving it is to see the truth and speak it without hiding from it. You know, the Democrats always tip their hand because whatever they accuse the right of, they're doing. Uh, Oh, yeah. And it it disturbs me because this is the first time I've heard from a credible source, you know, credible in quotation marks, like NBC News, where they are actually saying that Donald Trump could assassinate his political enemies. Um, don't put it so past him. What does that him. tell you, Glenn? It, so it tells that me tell that you? they are willing to do that. Think about it. Well, I, you have to skate to where the puck is going, people, and we're, none of us is God. Well, none of us is immortal. None of us is beyond. I mean, you know what? I do think we're in the middle of a deeper war in this country. And I think it goes even beyond just this realm. I think that there's a form of spiritual warfare in this country right now. And I think that it is something that we have to open our eyes to as a reality, that this system is corrupt and they will stop at nothing. And you look at the electoral tactics they were trying to use in the lawsuits and now forget the judicial system, just remove them from the ballot because somebody says on a whim in the state of Maine that we're removing him. They are selling us the rope today that they will use to hang us tomorrow. They want this to be a two-horse race. They want to eliminate Trump, and they want to trot a puppet who they can control into the White House. And I can't be controlled, Glenn, and so I'm actually going to be the one who's able to make sure that that doesn't happen if I'm able to do my responsibility to this country by being in this race and seeing it through to the very end. And so I think that our movement, sometimes the truth hurts, But we owe it to this country. We owe it to our founding fathers. Our America First movement did not start in 2016. It started in 1776. And so I know some of the hard Trump supporters, and heck, I was one of them, right? And I am in spirit of what it represents, still part of that, and support Donald Trump against these unjust persecutions. But we owe it to this country to make sure we don't look back a year from now. Here's a way to look at this, Glenn, to all the people who will say, well, you're taking votes away from Trump, and so why are you in this race? I want you to fast forward to a year from now 
And a year from now, let's say things play out exactly the way that I've said it. They then trot in a puppet into the White House that they can control. Do you want to look back a year from now? And are we going to say, oh, we were shocked that that happened? We didn't see that coming? Or are we going to say, what the heck were we thinking when we fell right into that trap and we have a puppet in the White House rather than an America First patriot? So, so do not fall for that trap. That's what so I'm saying. You're not talking about Nikki Haley. You're talking about a Democratic am, puppet. I'm talking about whatever puppet is they can control. And I think Nikki Haley is looking like the next one they're trying for in the Republican Party, Glenn. And if they fail with that, then it's going to be the next puppet who's Gavin Newsom or whoever else. But the system is agnostic. The deep state, I think, is agnostic to whether the R or the D comes after your name. It's whether you advance the consistent permanent war agenda and the surveillance state agenda here at home. Nikki Haley has said she wants driver's license tied to every social media account and Internet account. I don't know if that's coming from Jack Smith or Joe Biden or Nikki Haley, but they want Donald Trump and a puppet who they can control, eliminate Trump and trot in their puppet. That's the game. And we cannot fall for it. So you just said you're going all the way to the end. Uh, If if you finish uh, fourth in the next three, let's just say, um, you won't drop out. Are you staying in to the end? That's not what's going to happen, Glenn, first of all. Right. I think we're going to shock the world at the Iowa caucus tonight. And anybody who isn't on the ground here, I think, has their head in the sand. I think people who are here on the ground are seeing a late surge. The polls are dead wrong. You see the likes of Steve Holt or Steve King, some of the strongest constitutional conservatives in the state, switching their endorsements, some of them. Others surprise endorsing me at the late cycles in the last 72 hours. And so I think we're going to deliver a major shock tonight. But I think there's something deeper going on. It's not about Trump. It's not about me. It's about this country, Glenn. Yeah. And I do think that there is a plan hiding in plain sight. And if we have our eyes closed to it, shame on us. Last time it was a man-made pandemic and a rigged election, as I said. So fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And the plot is hiding in plain sight. It's up to us to open our eyes and to see it. And we deserve and require an America first patriot in the White House rather than a puppet for the permanent state, which is what we're going to get otherwise. Why should somebody vote over over Trump? Because your support is Trump support. I mean, he asked me last week who he should pick his vice president. Should he win the the, um, the vote here, the, the nomination? And I said, Vivek, um, I said, he's. He's a lot like you. He's a fighter. He can make great cases for the American people, et cetera, et cetera. And I think he's a young up-and-comer that would make a good president well, at some point. Let me, let me say a word about that one, Glenn, actually. Is, is, you know what? I've been, I, I haven't really given that a lot of thought until a million people asked me that. And so I actually have given it some thought. And here's the answer to that question is that would need to be a discussion with Trump where I would say, listen, I want to need to make sure we're on the same page. I don't want to build a new building for the FBI. I want mm-hmm. to shut it down. I don't want to have crony subsidies to carbon capture pipelines. I want to end them. I want to shut down many of these agencies. I actually do think we need accountability in our own Republican Party, that we shouldn't support the likes of Ronna McDaniel sitting in that seat, that we should on day one actually pardon every peaceful January 6th protester and see that through admit that there were some mistakes made in the past and we're going to correct for them with the vaccines and make sure that vaccine liabilities for companies, that they don't get a special shield from being sued. And I'd want to make sure we're on the same page about those things. Right now, I don't know if we are. I'm the only one who's taken a lot of those positions. But the way I'm looking at it, Glenn, is right now in this race, if I have that long list to say that in order to be vice president, I'd need an agreement from Donald Trump 
that he agrees with me and is committed to seeing each of those things through all the way through, yes, shutting down the FBI, not building a new building or reforming it. And if so, then you know what? I would honestly consider it. But right now, given that that list is long, here's how I'm doing it is at a certain point, the list is long enough that you say the best way I can do this is actually by being the next president, leading from the front and taking Donald Trump as my advisor to do the right thing for this country, which I will do if I'm the president. I've only got about 90 seconds. What is your plan for the border? My plan for the border is use our military to seal it. We've got 40,000 troops in places like Germany where they don't advance our interests. Germany isn't paying for its own national self-defense. They can move those troops to our own border. End federal funding for sanctuary cities. And I go further. End birthright citizenship for the kids of illegals. That ends the incentives to come here for an anchor baby. And anybody who's in this country illegally must be returned to their country of origin. And the way we do it is use the law. The existing laws allow you to leverage local law enforcement to serve the warrants. That's a million local law enforcement. No president has done it, but the existing laws allow for it. And so I do think it takes a president, Glenn, and this goes to the question about Trump and myself, takes a president from the outside who has sharp elbows and can break Mm -hmm. things. And Trump brings that, and I think I bring that on steroids. But I also think it's going to take a president who knows and deeply understands personally the law and the constitution of this country So we're not going to be duped by that same swamp class of advisors. And so that's why I'm in this. And I'm going to see this through to the very end. And I believe I have a duty to this country to see this through. And either way, it has to be an America first patriot in that White House. Well, good luck uh, tonight, Vivek. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on. God bless. Thanks a lot. You are listening to the best of Glenn Beck. To listen to the rest of this interview, check out the full show podcast. So I read an article by Anna Stanley last week, and it was hair-raising. I sent it to all of my relatives, and I said, and so it begins. She attended a King's College course called Issues Encountering Terrorism. It was organized uh, by the Center for Defense Studies, designed for civil servants and professionals in counterterrorism. Staff from the Foreign Office of the UK, Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Defense, Home Office, Um, And it was all a three-day course with lecturers from King's College, visiting senior research fellows, professors, and they included those who held former positions such as permanent secretary of the Home Office, director of GCHQ, defense minister, and foreign office director. So this is not some fringy thing. This is in this is involving some of the greater minds and the known names in England. Anna is here to tell us what she experienced. Hi, Anna. Hi, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, you bet. Uh, I, I found your article terrifying, really terrifying. Um, tell me Thank what you, you. Yeah. tell me what you experienced. Um, well, where to start? Um, I mean, yeah, you introduced it. Um, it was a course for civil servants. Um, so that is um, staff uh, enacting the will of the UK government. Um, only the lecturers were espousing um, views which were very contrary to that, um, which the government's trying to perpetuate at the moment uh, in the realm of counterterrorism. Um, it 
there was one point where the lecturer actually went against the latest government commissioned review of Prevent um, and he actually uh, derogatively characterised William Shawcross who wrote the review as, uh, of Prevent um, as saying all counter-terrorist um, professionals are woke. He is of that ilk, he said. Um, so wait, 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 wait. What is, first of all, what is Prevent? Can you explain that? Yeah, sorry, I should have done. So in the UK, uh, PREVENT is the UK's counter-terrorism strategy. It looks at radicalisation in the UK and how to tackle it. And it's the policy that all counter-terrorism professionals follow. Um, and there was recently a review, but it gets reviewed every few years. Um, and it basically obviously gets reviewed for how effective it's being. Um, and there's been a massive movement over the last few years um, or an attempt movement, I should say, rather, to uh, put uh, ideology at the centre of counterterrorism. Right. Uh, this is something Shawcross is arguing, because basically, um, previously, uh, people who committed terrorism, they were seen as almost victims. It was seen as a safeguarding issue in the UK. You know, uh, they would acknowledge maybe these people have been victims of crime or um, linked to crime or they've been in domestic abuse relationships. There was a real lack of um, giving them responsibility, but also placing ideology as a major motivating factor. Um, And one of the lecturers really went against uh, that recommendation of the the Shawcross Review. Um, as well as, yeah, many other parts of the course which were so, concerning. So what I, what I got from, from you um, and other sources is, and we can see it happening, um, is a, a softening of people, uh, of, of calling out terrorists who might happen to be Islamic extremists uh, and instead pinning extremism on the regular you know, Joe on the streets of England and saying that those who believe in England and freedom and everything else, that those might be the terrorists. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And and in my article, I basically referenced that one of the civil servant attendees uh, basically professed that her brother had actually been radicalized and fought for uh, the Islamic State in Syria. Um, which I think is quite a dramatic revelation. Um, Later on, we were shown a a video which was actually a jihadi um, from London, and he was it was an advertisement to recruit people into Syria to fight for jihad and she also recognized him too she went he went to my school um she said um and this uh, same uh person um she was also a civil servant we were all given a presentation to do um as part of the course and hers was uh, basically undermining prevent and saying that it's inherently racist because it focuses on islamist extremism uh, and it makes Muslims feel uncomfortable. Um, and you're exactly <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, yeah. I was so shocked, especially the, the revelation about the brother. I mean, I was really looking around the room like, what? Did she just say that? And it was bizarre. People really just didn't <laughs> seem to think it was a big deal. Um, but you're so right about this. This uh, The priorities just being completely skewed. And the facts do point out that 70% of terrorist attacks in the UK are Islamist, correct? Is that a 
solid number? Yeah, exactly. I did actually say that to the room. Um, I basically used the comparison of uh, people who smoke and said that around 70% of lung cancers are caused by smoking. Um, so you would expect it would be really counterproductive not to discuss that, just to not cause offence to smokers, right? <laughs> so in that same logic, it'd be very bizarre not to discuss Islamist extremism just because there are um, Muslims who would find that uncomfortable. Right. Smokers would find cancer uncomfortable if you kept pointing it out, too. Um, the, um, uh, the overall... Uh, um, is this is this coming from uh, a um, political correctness? Is this coming from an anti-Jew? Is this coming f- where 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 did this start and and what's the purpose behind it? Do you think? Mm, look, it's it's one of those things that's hard to answer because I think it's it's. <clears throat> It's so many things. It's not just one thing, you know. I think ultimately identity politics, the, the kind of worldview that puts power, views everything through the lens of power. Unfortunately, um, Jews often come out uh, bottom there. Well, they come out the top in the sense they're viewed at the top of the social hierarchy. They're seen as possessing white privilege. Um, and also identity politics breeds the kind of things that says one of the slides read um, condemning terrorism is to endorse the power of the strong over the weak and terrorism is not the problem rather the systems they oppose are terrorists. These are ideas which people often wrongly but do apply to Israel um, because they view Palestinians as being unequal um, in kind of asymmetric warfare. Um, So they're really quite sinister stuff and even though I think people usually aren't overtly explicitly anti-Semitic, the types of um, identity politics that they end up consuming often end uh, affecting Jews and Israel too as a consequence. Um, I read a story um, about Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the UK House of Commons. Um, And there was a a diary note from his office that said he was going to meet with the Palestinian Mm -hmm. ambassador to Britain last week. And that as part of a speaker-led diplomacy, we will be flying the Palestinian flag in honor of the Palestinian ambassador. But the problem is, there is no Palestinian ambassador. Well, Um, there's no state being ambassador of. Right. (laughs) There's no state. I mean, so what, what, what is happening? I mean, exactly. Uh, It's hard to say. I mean, you know... I know that America and the UK and Europe, they're all experiencing mass extremism on the streets, people coming out protesting in the name of uh, pro-Palestine. Um, but actually, they're, they're deeply anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. But more importantly, perhaps for your show, they're not just anti-Semitic and anti-Israel. They really are anti-Western, uh, right. they're anti-American ideals that I know you hold dearly. Um, mm-hmm. And that is often at the crux of it, uh, lying underneath, I think, influencing these people, whether they're aware of it or not. But I think actually, yeah, people are aware of it more than people give them credit for. So we just had a whistleblower here in the United States testify in front of Congress that um, we have the American Pentagon and our intelligence agencies, along with um, the British military intelligence, uh, working together with Five Eyes to spy on the American people and the Western people 
um, to find those that are radical and then suppress them as much as possible, uh, discredit, even use banking as a way to separate them from society, and if they have strong voices to shut it down. That, <clears throat> that I was talking about last week. And then I read your story um, to where one of, the, uh, one of the lecturers said, to what extent should Joe Rogan and Douglas Murray be suppressed? They have millions of followers. To de-platform them, de-platform them would cause issues. So society needs to find other ways to suppress them. What did they mean yeah. by that? Oh, look, I mean, I mean, I was so gobsmacked when I heard that. Um, I can, I only hope that he was speaking very freely and ad lib, and he by no means uh, intended those words to be as sinister as they sound. Um, I think he was really just revealing the types of um, sensorial um, views and inclinations that a lot of people have within academia. And of course, he was talking to a room full of civil servants as well. Um, and you're right, there is a, a trend towards uh, suppression of what is deemed as radical voices. Um, I, I referenced Douglas Murray. Um, I'm a massive fan of his and his writing. Yeah, um, but yeah, he's uh, considered far right by this uh, lecturer in counterterrorism. Um and yeah, example also Nigel Farage. Um, I believe his he was uh, his bank account was closed down um, because of his um, views as well, uh, which is a deeply disturbing precedent to be set. Where do the English people stand on this? I mean, uh, it, it seems as though as I watch Europe and uh, even the acts of Brexit and what's happening here, each country is being told. It's just a few of these crazy, whatever, you know, farmers or, you know, radical farmers or uh, <clears throat> radical conservatives here in America, whatever it is. But it seems to me the same message is coming from the people. And that is, <clears throat> I, I'd like my country back. I'd like my rights back. I'm tired of the elites telling us exactly what to do because you're screwing it up as elites we we don't want any of this stuff. Is that the feeling in mm. England? Um, yeah, I, I think it really depends who you talk to. I think in England, a phrase that gets uh, banded around a lot is the, the silent majority. Um, and it seems that we do have a kind of silent majority in the UK um, who are saying exactly the kind of thing you just said. Um, but in the civil service, um, very much in academia, it's very unpopular to talk yes. about things like uh, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and talk about examples in society where they're coming under threat. It's really considered something that the right, in inverted commas, do. Um, I know you're, you're speaking from America and, you know, people say right wing there. Um, more casually, you really would never hear someone describing themselves as that in the UK, you know, um, the types of things that uh, advocates on the right in America are arguing for, freedom of expression and free speech. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really unpopular to do that in the UK, in the civil service and in academia. And unfortunately, these are the institutions which influence policy. Um, so this course that I went on, you know, it's... How do I put it? it? It is deeply concerning because ultimately these are people who are making policy that will eventually potentially be the difference between life and death. Um, 
so yeah it's vitally important and that's why i hope to shed a light on it and what i experienced there anna i think you're very brave and i i thank you for um your voice and anything we can do to help amplify it um because it's not just happening in america or england this is a this is a threat to all of the Western world and the freedom, um, you know, the freedom just to be able to decide your own way uh, in life and not have it dictated by people in high office that, you know, we're all becoming serfs again. And uh, that needs yeah. to stop. So, Anna, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks you for calling. Na, 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 na.